Welcome, everybody, to Crosstalk. I'm really excited today because we have a very dear old friend of mine. Somebody I've known since he's a little boy, 12 or 13 years old. He's a well-known actor. You'll hear all about his story, how he started, where he went to, and where he is now. Back in 1985-ish, Lilo was a file clerk in my business office, and he was making copies. There was no one who made copies as good as Lilo. Yeah. He made copies, you know, like some of them were color, and those were hard in those days. Um, and then one day, it was like mid-July. 1992. 1992. He's not supposed to be here right now. So Lilo comes in and he says, you know, uh, Mr. Raven, would it be okay if my brother Vinny and I go to Jones Beach tomorrow? We want to take the day off. And I said, okay, fine. Go to Jones Beach. A couple of days later, I find out that Lilo is discovered on Jones Beach by people making a little movie called The Bronx Tale. And Lilo ended up starring in the movie with Robert De Niro. And I take the credit, although I don't think anywhere in the movie my name appeared, but I take the credit because had I told him, no, you have to stay and make copies and files, there would have been no Lilo Broncato that everybody knows. But the, the story just really starts from there. When Lilo walks into the room, a bright shining light follows him. And you're gonna get the, really the exciting journey uh, today in our podcast. So without any further ado, let's introduce and say hello to my dear, dear friend, Lilo Broncato. Lilo, thank you so much for being here with us. I attribute a lot of where I am today to you. So I'm really glad I'm here to share this. I've done a lot of podcasts and stuff like that, but none really as special as this one. So much has happened with you know our friendship and because of our friendship that it feels really special being here. Because you know my dad, who I loved very much, and that's how we met. And innocently enough, I came, you know, work for you and all the Ecker files, you know, upstairs, downstairs. Yeah, I like doing that. You know, it's like it gave me that responsibility. You know, it's good. And he's paying me nine fifty. 50 an hour in 1992, <laughs> you know? Well, I wasn't cheap. Yeah, no, definitely not. <laughs> you know? Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's an honor. You have a lot to tell us. Give us a little bit about how things started in the life of Lilo Broncato. And I'm going to let you just riff because I'm going to interrupt you a lot because that's what we do with each other. Yeah. But I'm going to right now try to stop speaking. Born in South America, adopted by Lilo and Domenica Brancato, Bianca's New York, you know, my parents. I uh, lived, you know, a middle class life. My parents, you know, gave us everything we ever wanted and needed. I was a little troubled in school. I used to get in trouble for talking too much and wanted to be the center of attention. And that was always an issue for me. My education and my grades were always good, though. So that kind of offset, you know, <laughs> the, the, the grief of my parents, you know, growing up in Yonkers. And then, like you said, that one day, you gave, you know, gave me permission to take off. And I went to Jones Beach. You know, I had heard about the film. It wasn't like a, a secret. Just hearing this thing, I mean, it's like, I thought it was like such a long shot. Me starring with De Niro, yeah, I mean, I think I look like him. But that doesn't mean they're going to put me in a movie and give me that big responsibility to carry a film at that age. I just don't see it. It's like Willie winning the lottery. Yeah, 
It really is. And then to be there on the beach and then my brother calling me out of the water. And then he said, Lee, this is the guy for the, remember that movie we heard about? This is your shot. So the guy's name was Marco Greco. He loved the look. He said, you look, you look like you could be his son. And, you know, and then he said, well, can you act? I said, well, I don't know. I never did it before, but I can try. So I started doing some De Niro impersonations with, you know, the frown and the. How, how did that go? What, what did you do? Can you show me a little bit of? I did, you know, I did the, talking to me, just very little. I'm not gonna lie, I had a few beers in me too. So in a way that was a good thing because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get shy. Can I you was, give me that face one more time? I said, <laughs> but, uh, you know, yeah, so the guy was interested right away. He said, listen, I, tonight we're not open. He said, but I'll, I'll open the studio just for you. I think you're right for the role. So I went in, it was the shaving scene, but De Niro was shaving in the original script and I approached him at the mirror and hey dad, and when, just reading the, you know, the scene, it's just felt something I was comfortable with and able to do through. You had done no acting nothing, before nothing. this. I was going to Mount St. Michael Academy in the Bronx. I was bad, I was a bad kid. So, brother John Bance, he, 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 you know, he said, I recommend maybe he goes and sees somebody, you know, professional. So they gave me a few names, and then I saw this one guy, Donald Lupiani. I'm like, oh my God, he's right up the street from me. Was it a, a psychiatrist? Psychiatrist, yeah. yeah. I used to ride my bike there. Talking to him was before drugs. He, one thing he always said was, you would be good in the dramatic arts. You ever imitate your teachers or play, were you the clown in the class? Oh, always. So are you kidding me? I'd start fake arguments with my friend, like we're about to fight. It was all fake and that whole class is laughing. They used to curse, like, you know, it was a great different time. Even in the 80s when I was going to school, like these kids, these teachers would put their hands on you. It was yeah. way different. Paddles. Yeah. Well, I got the paddle. Brother John Bance hit me and my friend Matias. You know my mom, Brother John, he didn't just do it. He called Dominica, called my mom. Do I got permission? I could hear my mother say yes from a few feet. Oh, please, go ahead. Hit him. Yeah, hit him, because he's going to get more when he comes home. <laughs> I went in to read for the role that night. Everything went well. I discovered I could do this. And I know he liked me because he had me read other stuff. We exchanged numbers. I came to work, and then I came home. I remember I was making English muffins, and someone sounding really professional called. Hey, can we speak to Leo? I thought it was someone calling for my dad, someone for like an estimate. So I thought it was for my dad. No, we're from Tribeca Productions. Take us VHS tapes. We really liked your tape, and we would like to meet you. And then that's when I knew it was real. I went down with my father, my uncle Joey. That's around the time that you told me you were going to quit. Yeah, I said, but I got, a, I got a very reliable. I got. <laughs> And Pat is reliable. As reliable as you get. Yeah, so. And then, you know, that was a great experience to work on the film. It was very surreal. Well, everybody in our community was, like, so thrilled that you had this opportunity. I felt like I was like a godfather. It made me feel so proud of you that you were doing that. Yeah, it was, you know, there's a lot of good that comes with it. I just wish I was a little more prepared for it. Because it's like you get one shot, at, one bite at the apple with things like that. Mm -hmm. And I wish I could have took a better bite. Because, you know, I have my parents, they didn't have any experience with drugs and the things right. to steer me away from. Like, listen, this is what's gonna happen. You know what comes with being in this industry. It's drugs and fast life. They didn't have the experience to even know what was headed my way. It's not, I don't blame them because they did whatever they thought was best for me. And also, to be, to be frank, you were exposed to something that was so exciting and you were meeting people that were all doing crazy stuff, things that you never had the opportunity to do. I was around. I was sober in those years. I remember your dad went out to California with you. I mean, he was on your ass. You know, what the hell happened? Well, the first time I ever smoked weed was with the kid from the Bronx Tale who shot Sonny, innocently enough. It started off with the pot, but I guess I just liked that escape. 
I didn't know that that was available to us as humans to be able to like get out of where you are in your head and for whatever reason you don't want to be there. After a while, that doesn't work anymore. And it's like, yo, dude, I'm still feeling messed up in my head when I shouldn't be because I just smoked. What's going on? Maybe I should I smoke more, but it just doesn't do the same thing. And this is where it can serve as a gateway. People don't use drugs for no reason. There's a reason, whether it's subconscious, it's at the surface, there's a reason why people want to self-destruct. And then only then can you begin to recover. It's not guaranteed. I can imagine as a young kid put in this world of lights, camera, action, that you probably felt out of place from where you came from. And maybe picking up probably made you feel a bit more comfortable in, a, in an environment that you like weren't Like a fish out of water. Exactly. I'll never forget this day and I'll never forget the way I feel. We were all in front of Pat's house one day, all me, my girl cousins, guy cousins, and it was summer. And then one night we just said, you know what, let's go see a movie. So it happened to be The Firm with Tom Cruise. So now we go see this film and then, you know, we just, you know, we get the coming attractions. Okay, one, two, three. Savoy Pictures. And then I hear, all these years, what have I been telling you? It's me with the hat on on this big screen. And I'll never forget the rush, the high that I got, that dopamine or whatever it is, it sent me to the sky. I couldn't believe like the way I was feeling and I liked it. So now all these other films, even though they were big, it just didn't match up to that. So nothing really was enough after that. You never think, you know, like this happens to everyone else, but it doesn't happen to me. That's kind of the way everybody goes into doing drugs. It's not gonna happen to me. But if you don't want to stop, you're not stopping. That's really what it comes down to. My mom said, why don't you go see Lupiani? Lupiani did say, I knew you would use drugs. He said, you always had that need for speed. You talked about loud music, talk about fast cars. And I knew someone with your personality would gravitate toward that. And then with you doing films and it being easily accessible, it was like the perfect storm. And I was doing film after film, big studio films. But as my drug addiction got worse and I started to spiral downward, I wasn't getting the offers because I burnt bridges with missing appointments. It's big, but it's a small industry and everyone knows everyone. I was getting a high off being on these sets and just being treated a certain way. So now it's like I'm almost wired to get this dopamine rush through the stuff. It's not coming. And it's not coming because the, the level of films that I'm doing are not the same. So you can't achieve that because it's not the same thing huh so now we go to an outside source to try to duplicate and mimic that feeling but it's not the same that's full that's empty these are empty these are empty promises this stuff it's like it gets you every time if you read about the devil in the bible he makes you do something and then he laughs at you (laughs) and that's what the cocaine does it's like damn i got you again and you really, you never get there. No, because that first time you did it, when it's new to your body, you're never gonna get that high again. It's like a dog chasing its tail, it's never gonna happen. And we do more and more thinking we're gonna achieve it. And then I got into, you know, the cocaine psychosis. Just look at this. I jumped out of a car doing 60 miles an hour. I thought my friends were gonna kill me. There was a quote of a guy named Gabor Mate who said, it's hard to get enough of something that almost works. Either you stop, and you somehow get it together as you and I have done, or you die. In 2003, I met a girl, her name was Stephanie, and she lived in Yonkers. She was going to Fordham College. She was wise beyond her years. She became my girlfriend. She had a dad who lived downstairs. His name was Steven, and I met the guy. I could see he was a little off. He was an alcoholic. She was going to school to be a doctor. She had to really focus. And you know, you got me in the house smoking crack, and she's trying to study. 
it's not good for her. And eventually she said, I can't do this anymore. You got to move back home. I got to focus. And I was heartbroken over it. Started doing more drugs because of that. And when I would go by the house, she would call the cops. Her sister would call the cops. One day I just said, let me become friends with her father. Maybe, Maybe you get it. her back. Yeah. So it worked for a little bit. I put myself in that situation. Sure. But one night he said, you want to go out for a drink? And I said, yeah, sure. And we were smoking crack and snorting heroin together. So then we go out that night. We went to a strip club. We weren't there to rob the house. I know people want to say that. 911, what's the emergency, please? Put your hands in the air. He had a gun on him, which I didn't know. After I'd been shot, I'm gonna die. I'm losing blood, I'm feeling weak. Holding on for dear life, I got blood squirting through my fingers. If I remember correctly, I heard from your mom and dad that morning, that night, you're in the hospital. Nobody knows whether you're going to live. Or we were hoping you weren't going to die. And so uh, you didn't die. That's good. You end up being charged with a crime and you're in Rikers Island. I was charged with murder. And I'm saying, how does this happen? People said I was going to die if I kept doing drugs, but someone else died. Which sometimes makes me think I wish I would have died. He was younger than I was. His parents both died. You know how they died? Broken hearts. I can't go back and change what happened that night, but I can make good now. And I can say, maybe you were my angel. Maybe you had to give your life up for me. I'm sentenced to 10 years as a result of that. Lilo Brancato, the actor accused of murder is Lilo Brancato. Tonight, for the first time... I deserve what I got. Another human being lost his life at the hands of my addiction. It's what I needed for me to wake up. And I can't say sorry enough to his family, his sister, but I want to do as much as I can now to try to help other people. You know what they say, right? Dwelling on the past is useless emotion because there is absolutely nothing. I'm in jail, Rikers Island, waiting trial. I'm still heavily addicted. All I would think about was smoking crack. I have my life support. I lost my spleen. I had a collapsed lung. It was bad. Rikers Island is like hell on earth. So I'm in a medical dorm, and every one of these people in there are there for a reason. So they're getting some kind of medication, legally, from the city. On the medication! You got a line with 40 people. So then I found a kid. He was a member of the Bloods. I'm not going to say his name. But this kid was getting MS Contin, 30 milligram, time release, powerful stuff. I was such a junkie at that time. I would take 20 of them at one time. So I would go to Catholic service every Saturday, and that's where I would see this guy. I would chew the 20 morphine. I'd do the first rating, and I'd get so high on morphine, I'd be high Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and it kind of just made the days go by. I'd sit in my cell and sleep. And I really thought I was never coming home. Time is going on, my addiction's getting worse. November 12, 2006, I go to the Catholic service, I get 20 morphine, there's another kid, he's another blood, and then cell blonde next to me, he used to give me heroin. He used to sell me a stamp, hard bodies to put in the ramen noodles. I got four bags of heroin, and I'm already high on 20 MS contents.
They told me you have an attorney visit, and I knew it was gonna be you guys. And that day changed my whole life. When you guys said to me that day, I remember both of you guys looking at me like, how could you even be like this right now? Like, like someone's dead and you, you're still doing this shit? And you have all these people, we care about you, we wanna see you beat the case, we wanna support you through this and get you through this. And you said, if you keep doing this, one day you're not gonna have anyone support you. You know, it should've clicked before the poor guy lost his life, but that was the day. And I never felt the same again. I felt like everything was lifted at that moment. And I remember how happy and how relieved I felt as I'm being escorted back to my cell, cuffed, thinking to myself, I don't have to live like this anymore. God's gonna give me another chance. I felt it. The thing that I think you felt was that I love you. And that wherever you were, whichever prison you were in, your cousin Pat and I would go visit. Yeah, and five that, hours away. When I told you that, it was because I was getting kind of sad and I was getting like at the end of my rope because you really didn't care about you. And yeah. if you weren't caring about Why you. Why should I care about you? Exactly. It meant so much coming from you because you had been there. The way it works is you have to want that for yourself first and then I could put my hands on you and just push you in that direction. But if you keep resisting, it's not gonna work. And that day it was like, all right, if Corey's saying it, I gotta stop. You know the amazing thing? I'm gonna look at the camera right now and for anybody who's listening right now, what you just heard is about as good a description of what a bottom is that I've ever heard in my life because that's what's got to happen in order for my life to change that happened for your life to change for anybody who's having trouble you got to hit bottom right the bottom is not a bad thing it's not the bottom is a great thing I can't wait for everybody to hear what happens now I started working out. The money that I spent on drugs, I'd buy like 30 packets of tuna and then I'd start eating protein. The bottom line was the dopamine rush that I was getting from the drugs, which I no longer did, I was getting from the working out. I was able to start teaching myself. That's not the only way. And working out, I mean, it's, it's a win-win. The more you stay away, better people come into your life. And then you start thinking like, wow, maybe it's better this way. My dad, you know my dad, he passed away in 2018. It was about October. And I'm gonna max out on parole in December. So I have two more months after five years. So my mother says to me, she says, go clean your father's room and put all the stuff in boxes. We're gonna throw it out and whatever. And then I look, he's got Oxy 80s, man. And they're right there. And at this point, because I had done so well on parole, I didn't even have to report anymore. And they're not gonna test me. So I knew that I could do these pills and I'd be fine. No one would catch me. Well, I don't know about that, but yeah, you wouldn't be caught. Right, I don't know. I'd be fine with no one catching me. I wouldn't be fine otherwise. It's just gonna... By the way, if anybody wants to see the eight pack that Lilo has, he's got an Instagram. What's your Instagram? Lilo, L-I-L-L-O underscore Broncato, B-R-A-N-C-A-T-O. But it's much more than that. It's very inspirational. No, but the eight pack's something really to behold. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now you serve your time. And I'm, I'm fast forwarding a little bit, you know, because I'm getting hungry. Uh, <laughs> That's I am too. Coming home and being sober and in recovery for that amount of time, I just saw that I had that ability just based on my experience to touch other people. And then, you know, like social media, you know, it can be a really horrible thing if you don't use it the right way, but if you use the platform in the right way, it can be a beautiful thing because you can connect with so many people. So now I'm starting to see this and I'm saying, wow, it's really fulfilling because, you know, like you get one person, hey, Lilo, my name is Brad. I live in Staten Island and I'm hooked on, hooked on oxys. You speak to them, you tell them what you think they should do. And then like two months later, 
later, you get a message from that person or their mom. Hey, Lilo, do you remember my son Brad from Staten Island? I'm his mom, Maureen, and I just want you to say my son's been clean for two months now, and he talks about you all the time and how thankful he is. And I think about like how special that is, yep. that this woman got her son back. I think about my parents, my father. My, my father was a tough man. He used to sit on the couch and cry like a baby for me because he was powerless. He didn't know what to do. This, this is what it's really all about, not making movies. You got three pots and you fill them up with the same amount of water. You put the egg in one, carrot in one, and the coffee beans in the other. Water represents adversity. Now, now look at the egg. The egg went in all soft and fragile, but after 20 minutes of adversity, what happened? Got hard. Then the carrot, hard, strong. What happened? Shriveled up to nothing. The coffee, nothing happened. The coffee made the water better. It gave it aroma, flavor. In life, that's what you want to be. You make the environment around you better. The metaphor for that is spreading sunshine wherever you go. So you, you make everybody around you better, you feel better, and really the bonus of is you have a nice cup of coffee. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love coffee. That's my Colombian root. Where in Colombia? Bogota. Before we, we break, you're, you're engaged now. I am. Someone once told me, you need to find a woman that's gonna make your life better and easier. So I love her to pieces, and she's a great girl, she's beautiful, she's funny, she's smart. Her, her family, they don't judge me. They know exactly what it is to have been where I've been. So it works out great, she makes me better. I didn't know if that was ever possible, but she makes me better. I'm so happy for you. You know, one in one is three when you find the right person. Right. <laughs> and, uh, it, from the highs of Bronxdale to the lows of the criminal uh, proceedings that, that went on, from my point of view, uh, there's no better example of somebody who's made the best of all the experiences and the things that you've gone through have made you strong and made you who you are. You inspire me. You've inspired me for many years. Well, I, and if I, I didn't have you in my life, I don't know if I would have wanted this for myself because I was able to see it through you and to see that it actually does work in, in living proof. It was a big part of the reason why I got sober. And I'm not just saying that because we're here and you know. Thank you. That makes just me know feel that. very good, but yeah. it's, it's all good. And that we can have a relationship, two sober guys, uh, loving each other and loving life and helping other people. It's, right, it doesn't uh, get better than that. Exactly, and this is the easiest interview I've ever done in my life. It wasn't even an interview, it was just talking with my pal. Lilo, thanks so much. Let me give you a hug. Oh, thank you, Corey. I love you, love you too. Thank you. You're the best. I want to talk to you a little bit about change and being open-minded. An Italian author named Leo Baseglia bus nine to paradise where he says at his home, his family had an expression and in capsule form it was siamo vecchi troppo presto e troppo tarde e la gente, which means we get too soon old and too late smart. The fact that we're here and we're on the earth and we're alive means we can always learn, we can always change. At my law office, I have a little sign on my desk which says, I'm pretty sure I have no idea. Nobody has all the answers. So I want to tell you about one of the ways that I learn. It says, too many of us settle on the notion that education is something that took place in a fixed period of our lives. We mistakenly classify people's intelligence according to the number of years that they attended school. Rather, we see that the truest measure of intelligence is the dedication to continue the process throughout life. Some of the most ignorant people I know have advanced degrees to show for their education, while some of the wisest people I know never made it past high school. It's not really a paradox if we keep in mind that learning is not confined to a classroom and is not imparted solely by people we designate as teachers. We're all teachers and we're all students. I believe that's the mark of true wisdom to appreciate and profit from both sides. Leo says each day is a new beginning 
a little life unto itself. Most of us have struggled to live up to this moment, to come to this time. Opportunities for growth, a chance to learn something new. Some things in life come along only once, and it's our choice alone whether we seize them or not. So let me tell you, the older I get, the less sure I am of everything. And I learn every day, and I learn mostly from young people, because young people have the most to teach me. Just the fact that we're doing our podcast and we're doing reels, that came from somebody that's half my age, maybe a third of my age. It's made a big change in my life, and I really enjoy doing this. And being open to change, being open to doing new things, that's what growing is. And being too old, I don't know what that is. So I'm constantly trying to do new things. If you keep an open mind to doing that, it'll be a wonderful thing in terms of being able to enhance your life as you get older. Richard Rohr wrote a book called Falling Upward in which he talks about the second part of your life being the most valuable part of your life, where after you've filled your container of all the things that you thought you needed to do and the place you wanted to live and the people you wanted to be with, you start doing things that are for you, things that matter to you things of significance. Mostly it has to do with helping others and doing good things for other people. Well, that's what Crosstalk is trying to do, and I hope you're getting something from all the stuff that we're doing. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Did we lose this? We lose Sergio? Was that any good?